middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. This is Keeper of the Games. Hey, welcome to Keeper of the Games. We are the wildly underqualified yet mildly entertaining podcast that's all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. I'm Tommy Castor. My co-host is Weston Mills, and we are back for another episode, another week of sports here in the Wichita area, the state of Kansas, and beyond. Excited to get in and talk some sports today. But first off, Weston, how are things going, man? Tommy, fall weather is here. It's football, football, football. This is prime for me. Most of our listeners probably know I'm, I'm a football first guy. I, I love all the sports across the board, but football is something else for me. So I have just been just it's been fantastic to just feel like I'm constantly watching a football game. And Tommy, we're going to get into it. But we had a fat guy touchdown on Monday night, and there's nothing that excites me more than a fat guy touchdown. So we'll leave that for the Chiefs talk, but I'm excited to get into that as well. Yeah, hopefully you're a little bit more prepared to talk football than I am this week. I mean, I obviously watched the Monday night game with the Chiefs, uh, you know, a couple nights ago. Uh, but I have to be honest, I did not watch a single minute of college football this weekend. I was out of town for a bachelor party and um, I had other things going on. Namely, I had, you know, alcohol going on. So I didn't get a chance <laughs> to really watch any of the college football games, but I know enough to be dangerous, I think, uh, this week on the show. But hopefully you've got a little bit more uh, knowledge than I do about both K-State and KU. Yeah, no, I spent uh, watched a little bit of bo- both games, watched the Chiefs. Um, really, I've just been watching a lot of football. I've been catching. I, I spent last Sunday was my first Sunday that I literally from noon till about five o'clock didn't leave the red zone channel. It was fantastic. But but yeah, did did catch the games on Saturday, caught the Chiefs on Monday. Hell, I even caught the Thursday NFL Thursday night game. So I'm serious. I've been watching a lot of football lately. Did you watch the knockdown drag out fight that was the presidential debate the other night? Uh, I did. And uh, yeah, that was that was something, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, I, at least I think <laughs> I can tell our listeners right now, our vow to you is that you and I will not be as um, what's the word I'm looking for obnoxious. Uh, as the presidential debate was on Tuesday night. I think you and I can have a little bit more uh, decorum. I think we've shown that on this program uh, that we can do so. I do agree with that, but I can't make any promises that I won't tell you to shut up at some time, Tommy. <laughs> That's okay. I'll just call you a clown. Uh, that, <laughs> that'll, that'll, that'll be what I do. All right. Fair. Hey, want to remind you guys to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a new episode of the podcast, you'll get a notification. We're kind of back on uh, this Thursday new episode schedule now, at least for this week. And um, thinking that that will probably continue, but you never know with the podcast. So make sure to subscribe to us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. That way you'll get a notification when we have a new episode. Of course, you can find us on platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and more. You can also watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook, and you can subscribe on YouTube as well. All you got to do is search for Keeper of the Games, and you can follow us anytime on Twitter and Instagram at COGPOD. That's at K-O-G-Pod. We're going to kick off the show, this new episode of Keeper of the Games, talking about the Monday night football game, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. The Chiefs got a big win on Monday Night Football. And if you watched any of the ESPN coverage, it, it, 
probably felt like the biggest game in the entire universe and the history of the NFL when really, I don't think it it was. I don't really know the hype behind all of it. I don't really understand it. But at the end of the day, the Chiefs got the win to move to 3-0. and They won by a score of 34-20 to against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to dive into this entire game, talk a little bit about how the game progressed and our thoughts and opinions on that. Uh, but first off, just your overall opinions on the Monday night win for Kansas City. Well, you know, I think first first and foremost, can we can we put to bed any conversation that Patrick Mahomes is not the best quarterback in the NFL? I mean, just flat out is. I mean, Russell Wilson has done amazing things through three weeks, and he's a, he, he is probably number two in my opinion, or if you want to say just through three weeks, one. But there is not a quarterback in this league, and it, it is most definitely uh, not that quarterback over in Baltimore uh, that can do the things that Patrick Mahomes can do. And I think what we have now seen, too, is giving Andy Reid the best quarterback in the NFL – is something that I just don't think a lot of folks were prepared for. That combination, and and I want to take a quick pause too, because I, as I said that, I told myself before the show I wanted to give a shout out to Eric Bieniemy because he, I think he often, well, he gets a lot of credit, often gets overshadowed by Andy Reid in the in these play calls, but it, it is just as much Eric Bieniemy as it is as it is uh, Andy Reid. So that combination, the play calling. Um, in in lockstep with a quarterback who just truly has no limitations is just a, 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 a it's hard to put it any other way than a, than an almost an unbeatable combination it it's a fantastic thing to watch how in the world has eric the enemy not been, become a head coach uh it just it boggles my mind um he should have been snatched up if not last year, I mean, two years ago, or even maybe even three years ago. Um, and, and I know that he's sort of, you know, in collaboration with Andy Reid a lot on the offense, but I'm talking more about his overall style, his demeanor on the sideline, uh, his leadership style. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed it in the second half when, you know, the Chiefs kind of did, um, they, they, they sort of stalled a little bit in the second half offensively. And Eric Bieniemy was mad, you know, and he was pacing the sideline and he was, he was angry and he was trying to light a fire under his offense a little bit because, you know, the, the Ravens kind of, I don't want to say they got back in the game, but they made things a little bit more interesting uh, in the second half. And the guys just absolutely respond to him. Uh, it's just, it's so shocking to me that uh, he has not gotten a shot at being a head coach. He absolutely will. He should. He needs to be a head coach uh, in this league. He's too good to stay an offensive coordinator. Yeah, I agree. I think some of the 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 problem is problems not the right word, but I think maybe part of what led to him not getting a job last year. And I think I can understand to some degree is probably a lot of teams out there that go, you know, okay, he's the offensive coordinator for this great offense, but he's got Andy Reid over him and he's got the best quarterback in the league. So is that Eric Bieniemy? Or is it that he has a great head coach and a great right. quarterback, quarterback coach? But I think, and I think that's kind of what you're. I think what you're going to see this year is him putting kind of those questions to bed as as they continue to have this great success. But but to your point, I think that's what gets missed about Bienemy is how much these players respond to him and how well they speak of him. It feels like you can hardly ever watch a, an interview of an offensive player and even some of the defensive guys, frankly, that talk about how much they respect Eric Bienemy, how much they like Eric Bienemy, just how great of a coach he is. And so I think I think that is coming, you know, to the front this year and I don't I, I think there is will be no questions that he's not uh, one of the first two or three, 
head coaches that get a job uh, right off the bat next year. But I want to go back real quick and talk a little bit about you. You'd kind of mentioned, you know, hey, everybody hyped this game up and didn't really see kind of what the big deal was. And I agree with you in part and I disagree with you in part. So I agree because, again, it's it's week three. Right. And I think there was a lot of hype by the media on the Ravens. Granted, the Ravens blew their first two games were fantastic, blew out some some okay opponents, right? Um, and looked really good doing it. So the the hype was created by the media for this matchup with Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, you go back to two of the best teams from the AFC even last year. Um, and but ultimately it's week three, right? There's so much more football to be played that it just it didn't feel like the hype was warranted knowing that, okay, whoever wins or loses this game, you've still got all this season ahead of you. But this year with the expanded playoffs and knowing that the only the one seed gets a first round by, I do think it, it is important knowing that, or just kind of predicting out that the chiefs and the Ravens probably will be in the hunt for the one or two spot. And so having that matchup against the other head to head, when the tiebreaker comes down to it, I think is going to be a huge bump for Kansas city at the end of the season. You know, I definitely think that, you know, as we continue to talk about this, we're going to get into some of the plays of the game and, you know, some of the, the ways that, you know, this whole game progressed for uh, the chiefs and the Ravens. But before we get into any of that, to your point, I want to talk about the media coverage and, and I get what you're saying about how the the stakes are a little bit higher to be the one seed this year than in years past. But at the same time, you know, you say that the hype uh, was sort of unwarranted. I'm going to say it was completely manufactured. Um, You know, of course you had the 2018 MVP and the 2019 MVP facing off. You had the number one seed and the number two seed from last year's AFC playoffs facing off against each other, but it was completely manufactured hype. Uh, the, The one thing that, uh, anybody that follows either of these teams, and especially if you follow the Ravens, you know that Lamar Jackson can't beat the Chiefs, and he hasn't been able to beat the Chiefs. You know, I felt like ESPN, which, by the way, I re- I was reminded in watching this show why I typically don't watch Monday Night Football and don't watch ESPN because uh, I thought their coverage was absolutely abysmal um, compared to the other guys. But that's a completely different topic entirely. But I felt like they kept wanting to hype this game up and amp this game up as you know you've got a kind of a, like a clash of the titans, and I want to be like. What have, what have the Ravens done? What has Lamar Jackson done? I know he's a really good quarterback. You know, I know that he was the MVP last year, but if memory serves, they got bounced by the Titans in the playoffs in the divisional round. You know, like what, what, what has this team done? And especially what has this team done with Lamar Jackson as their quarterback? They've got some great regular season success, but you know, it wasn't just the media. It was also the sports books as well. You know, the, the Ravens were three point favorites. The chiefs were underdogs in this game. I'm not a huge sports better, but that was the easiest bet in the world for me to take last week was to take the chiefs to win the game uh, because they were three, point underdogs. And that's just absolutely ridiculous. So I, I again, I'm just going to double down on what I'm saying that I think the, the, and I don't know if it's hype or if it's manufactured, you know, television drama or what it is. I thought it completely took away from the reality on the field and what we actually saw during the game, which was a, a, a vastly superior chiefs team against a Ravens team. That's good, but is nowhere near the caliber of where Kansas city is. Well, and I was as you're talking, I think you know that's it's spot on, and I think the I think the focus too is on Lamar Jackson. Look, he's got a lot of talented, he's got a lot of talent. Um, 
and I, and by all means, I'm not trying to argue that the numbers last year didn't warrant him being an MVP, but, and I was trying to find the stat as you were talking, because it, it reminded me exactly of, of something I saw. And it's like the Ravens are 16 and no with Lamar Jackson or something like, and I'm, I'm bot- botching the stat. So bear with me, but it's like they're 16 and no or something like that when leading by 10 points, but they're Oh, and eight when, when yeah. trailing, trailing by 10, or maybe it was Oh, and three or something smaller, but nonetheless, that's the problem, right? Is, is you, people want to hype up, Lamar Jackson's throwing ability and say, Oh, he's a do it all quarterback. He's not this one trick pony. And he was, he was the one that was very, um, I don't know, adamant about, you know, pushing back on that narrative. And I remember when he made comments about, Oh, just a running back, or I think he wore a shirt that said just a running back, not bad for just a running back. Um, but the problem is, is, is the guy struggles when, when defenses know he has to pass the ball, they run the ball so well that he can be effective in play action pass, or even it doesn't even have to be play action just with him. When they have established the run, the way they have, they're going to have eight or nine in the box makes it a lot easier to throw the ball. And I think you saw that particularly on Monday night, you know, the chiefs basically got ahead and they said, look, we're going to make Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson beat us through the air. And, and you saw that, and I, tw- I tweeted about it during the game, is he was getting frustrated, I think. Um, I don't know whether it was – I couldn't tell whether it was with the play calling or the lack of protection at times because the Chiefs did fluster him. They, they brought some pressure. They, they, also, they also got to him just using their front four. But it almost looked like there was just no progressions from Lamar Jackson. And by that I mean – you know, there's a there's a called play, and often the called play has a designated we're going to throw to this receiver, or or not we're going to throw to him, but he's your first look. Here's your second look. Here's your third look, depending on how the defense sets up. And it didn't feel like he was going through any of those progressions. It felt like he had no other intention than the play is called. You know what? I've made the decision. I'm going to throw to Marquise Brown, and it was a one read, and he would just try to force it in there, or he would clearly see that it wasn't open. And instead of progressing to the next wide receiver, his next read, he would start to get antsy in that pocket, start moving around. And then that's what would cause either the flush and the hurry and the throw away or the actual sack, which to me was all on all, all on him for getting antsy and not being able to sit in that pocket and go through progression. So that's going to be the knock on him until he proves otherwise. And I think the chiefs really just further established that, you know, the way to beat the Ravens is just, you know, to get ahead. And I know that sounds goofy, but I mean, when you have an offense like the Chiefs, that really is a simple thing to do. Yeah, ESPN had this, you know, ridiculous comparison. They kept calling Patrick Mahomes a Ferrari and Lamar Jackson a Lamborghini, which not only is that ridiculous and doesn't make any sense, uh, it's completely inaccurate, uh, you know, as well. Lamar Jackson is a good quarterback, but what separates him from Patrick Mahomes is exactly what you just said, that Lamar Jackson has not been able to prove that he can come back from behind. He can he can throw the ball well when they're leading and when it's in kind of conjunction with their running game, but when he has to come from behind, he's not there. That is the 
exact opposite of Patrick Mahomes. In fact, I would even argue that there have been some cases with Patrick Mahomes where when they're playing from in front, they let their foot off the gas a little bit. That's kind of what we've seen the last couple of games. But when the Chiefs had to come from behind, that's when Patrick Mahomes is at his best. So there's no comparison between the two quarterbacks at all. I didn't think there was prior to the game. I definitely didn't think there was during the game, and I for sure don't think there is after the game as well. And what separates Lamar Jackson from not just Patrick Mahomes, but but, you know, elite quarterbacks like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, you know, these these high level quarterbacks from the past is that come from behind, lead your team down the field and get them back in the game mentality, which right now I'm not saying Lamar Jackson will never have. But right now he doesn't. And that's the big knock on him. So I just felt like overall the entire comparison was overblown. I felt like. You know, when, when with your and maybe you'll disagree with me on this, but when you're a Chiefs fan and you think of rivalries, you know, you think of AFC West teams, obviously Denver, Oakland, you know, Los Angeles, formerly San Diego. I would also say in the AFC, you think about, you know, probably New England, you know, at a more recent yep. level. And I would even say Pittsburgh to a little bit of an, of an extent too. Maybe not so much the last couple of years, but I know several years prior, uh, it seemed like the Chiefs were always facing the Steelers in the playoffs. I don't think of the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are a good team, uh, and I think that John Harbaugh is a good coach, but I don't consider the Ravens a rival of Kansas City, and I felt like there was just, not only was there this manufactured drama about, you know, who's the better quarterback and this big rivalry between, you know, Mahomes and, and Jackson, I felt like they were also trying to drum up this supposed rivalry of Kansas City and Baltimore, which I don't really think that there is. Uh, at all. I respect Baltimore. I don't think that there's any kind of like ill will with them. Maybe I'm wrong, uh, but that's just me. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I, no, I agree with you. And I almost kind of feel like, I mean, maybe it's a rivalry the way KU basketball and K-State basketball is a rivalry. I don't know, just because they're pitted against each other. I mean, it's not really there because you've got hatreds of the schools yeah. for however long, but it, it it's, it's, you're right. It almost kind of feels like big brother, little brother kind of thing. Um, but and, and I so I, and I do want to go back for a second because I I didn't find the exact stat I saw referenced. But here's another one to illustrate the point just as well. So this is via Tom Pelissero. The largest deficit the Ravens have overcome to win with Lamar Jackson as their quarterback is eight points since wow. drafting Jackson in 2018. Baltimore is 0-9 when trailing at halftime. I mean, that's a significant, a significant uh, knock on your game as a quarterback, because that is a direct reflection of you as the leader of that group, the quarterback. I mean, uh, so you're right. And I, I think we're almost kind of we're, we're <laughs> we have shifted to focus almost kind of on bashing Baltimore. Be, and in part, I think you and I both feel like that because they were so hyped up and there was some sort of notion, I suppose, that they were on the same level as Kansas City when that just isn't and every single every single analyst on ESPN picked Baltimore to win that game. It's like, the, the, you know, this Kansas City team, they're the defending Super Bowl champions with everybody back and more like I just that was mind boggling to me. I know the Chiefs didn't play awesome in week two against the Chargers, but come on. Are you kidding me? It just just blows my mind. And this, again, a completely different topic about how, you know, these these analysts, you know, quote unquote, are paid this amount of money. And they, they can't even see that. It's it's just, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, again, that's, it really was, you know, I think 
ESPN in particular, you know, they've fallen in love with with Lamar Jackson and, and just wanting his narrative to work, I suppose, you know, kind of the, I don't know, the knock on his passing game. Here he comes out of nowhere, you know, well, not really out of nowhere, but MVP last year, uh, running all over the thing. They, I think they liked the big trust with Mark Ingram and all yeah. that. And and I think it was just an opportunity to push a new narrative. And, and particularly, you know, it's, it, it is interesting too. The hype, I think, in some part comes because ESPN actually had a good Monday night football game. I mean, a good matchup. Yeah. I noted I was watching a NFL Good Morning that Monday, and Peter Schrager, who I, I really like the NFL Good Morning show. If, if anybody is looking for a kind of a new, different you know outlet to watch, that would be the one. Um, but uh, Peter Schrager commented. He said when he saw that on the schedule, he, he thought, wow, Monday night, this feels like it should be a Sunday night football game, you know, and that's where we're yeah. at now that the Sunday night game does feel like it should be bigger and better than, than Monday night. So it is interesting, but I think that's in part fueled ESPN trying to throw everything they could into this, this matchup that they finally had. So why don't we talk about the actual game? We've talked a lot about bashing Baltimore, uh, but yeah. the actual game, you know, as much as everybody is going to, uh, and rightfully so, pile on how great this offense is. And we're going to talk about the offense and, and how, you know, it, at one point it kind of looked like, you know, Patrick uh, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid were just kind of trolling everybody with their play calling. Yeah. Uh, and they could pretty much do whatever they wanted. That was all, all well and good. But I tweeted this, and I, I want to get your opinion on this, uh, but I tweeted it during the game. That was an absolute masterclass on defense that Kansas City had during that game. You know, from, from a, a highly touted offense, a running game that's, that's really strong, and, you know, a passing game with Lamar Jackson, who again is a good quarterback, and some really dynamic receivers. The Kansas City defense, you know, shut down the Ravens for one touchdown in that entire game. That's all the Ravens scored was one offensive touchdown. Uh, they, they added on, you know, a, a field goal as well. Um, or maybe two field goals, but at the end of the day, you know, they, the defense only gave up one offensive touchdown. Um, and this is a defense Weston that I think has been much maligned during the course of the season. And people have, you and I have too, have talked about our concerns about them. They, they really came to play on Monday night. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I think the game plan is, is kind of like I mentioned a little bit out on, on the, the Ravens and and it, it sounds goofy to say this is a game plan, but really putting them in situations when the game script doesn't allow for them to run is just the, the way to go. And Kansas City jumped on them. They jumped on them early, put points on the board and forced them into those passing situations. But then to your point, the part that, that I was really happy to see was, I, you know, I felt like that front four of Kansas City, Chris Jones was so disruptive. We got yeah. big Mike Pinnell back. He looked good. I mean, I don't think the stat sheet's probably not showing anything, but you could see him in there disrupting what they wanted to do. Frank Clark on the edge, which doesn't, you know, often those guys don't get credit as much in the run game, um, you know, was setting an edge. And I think when you, when you establish early in the down. So especially with a running team, they're, they're going to want to run the ball in first down. They're likely going to want to run the ball in second down. It is so pivotal, pivotal to really shut them down early and not give up anything big right off the bat so that you force them into second and seven, second and eight, third and eight. And now all of a sudden it pushes, puts them into that one dimension of their offense that they don't want to step into. And the chiefs did a fin- fantastic job with that and big credit to Steve, Steve Spagnolia. Spags was, was fantastic. He dialed up a great game. I thought I felt like in that first half, 
he really kind of put it on his defensive of guys to say, hey, look, we're going to we're going to let you play more of a base defense look like we're not going to do anything crazy in the first half. I want to get a read on what they're going to do, and we're just going to shut them down early. We're going to stop that run game. And then after that, once he had them in that situation that they now felt they were behind and felt like they had to press the ball a little bit more. That's when he started dialing up some pressure, started bringing some guys, started moving the defensive linemen around a little bit to play with Lamar Jackson and kind of get into that next level of what I'm talking about, where he, I don't think he makes those reads like other good quarterbacks do. I just don't think he does it. I think he's been able to get away with it because the play action pass is more designed as a one read system, in my opinion. Um, and so they forced him into that later in the game. So I think Spags did an incredible job. And, um, you know, frankly, you know, we, we're now going to be moving into the defense with a couple of injuries. We had some injuries early, but uh, you know, as I don't know if you saw the news, but Legarius Sneed broke his collarbone. So that's yeah. uh, some real bad news. I think it's going to be, it's, and it, it, I, you know, we're, 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 uh, we're getting more healthy and we're getting some guys back, um, at, you know, Bashad Breland, obviously coming back, but really just disappointing that the, the rookie had such a good start to his season. Um, and I would assume that a broken collarbone is probably out the rest of the season or at least probably six to eight weeks. Yeah, maybe. Probably six, I'm guessing probably six yeah. to eight weeks. I, I bet they'll see him back again. It was encouraging to see Charvarius Ward uh, back out on the field on yeah. Monday night. I know, you know, obviously he was wearing a big cast and, um, you know, I, I know there was one play in particular that uh, that he broke up that, you know, had he been 100%, he probably would have intercepted. But yeah, no cast. Uh, yeah. Right. But, you know, I, I do want to give a, a shout out to, a, you know, a unit that ha- has been much maligned and a unit that we've talked about that didn't they didn't play well uh, in week two against the Chargers. And I think that ever since guys like Chris Jones and Frank Clark came to prominence, they've been forgotten about a little bit on the defense. And that's the linebackers for Kansas City. I thought that Anthony Hitchens and Damian Wilson had a really good game against Baltimore on Monday night. Again, they struggled in week two, but there was one play in particular, and it was a it was a screen pass, I believe, to Mark Ingram. Um that Anthony yep. Hitchens read all the way and absolutely blew him up in the backfield. You know, the, the the linebacking unit, if you think back to just a few years ago, that was the strength of the Kansas City defense when you had, you know, guys like Derek Johnson and, you know, Justin Houston and Tama Ali that were, you know, part of that unit. Um, it hasn't been those big names in recent years. And a lot of more, a lot, a lot of focus has gone on to, you know, the front four and guys like Chris Jones and Frank Clark and even in the secondary to an extent. You don't hear as much about the linebacking backers for Kansas City, but I was incredibly proud of them. I thought that Hitchens and Wilson had an incredibly strong game. Uh, and you know, they they came up with some big plays that really shut the Ravens down. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up too, because Anthony Hitchens feels like one of those guys that is just underappreciated. And, and I almost feel like it often comes from Kansas City fans, more yeah. so than, than experts who are necessarily dogging on Hitchens. But the thing about Anthony Hitchens, his play style, like you saw with that a big boom on Mark Ingram when he read that screen. That's the way he plays. He plays aggressive. He wants to make big hits and he's just going to let his instincts kind of run his game. And what that's going to do is make him over aggressive and it's going to make him miss things at times. It's going to create the big play, the big boom, the big tackle for loss, but he's going to miss some. And I think because I think a lot of folks and fans, you know, they, they see the one or two times where it feels like Anthony Hitchens missed a play or overran a play and that just kind of gets stuck in their head and not realizing what he really brings to that defense. And then really, I think, you know, the other thing, especially with the average fan, I know often the way defenses are run and sometimes it's confusing to kind of, 
get a grasp on on what they're doing. So obviously the Chiefs, they switched with Spagnolia before they were a 3-4 defense. So meaning the two outside linebackers were Tom Ali and Justin Houston. Those positions often pa- rush the passer. So that stat and that um, that position, right, just kind of creates a little bit more notoriety in the fans. They like to see the sacks and rush rushing the passer and those kind of things. So it stand it helps the linebackers stand out, right? When it's Tom Ali and Justin Houston. Now yeah. we switch to a four three defense where that your three linebackers aren't. It's not a traditional position that they rush the passer. They are more pass pro, meaning out in coverage and run first, um, not necessarily bringing pressure every play like Houston and Ali would have. So it makes them go a little bit more unnoticed, but I, it's a, a perfect time for you to mention Anthony Hitchens particularly because I think he's been outstanding this year and has really kind of been an unhung, un, unsung hero over the last few years. So I don't know if, uh, if this um, topic – really is more related to the the defense for Kansas City considering he was a former defender for the Chiefs or more on the offense for Kansas City because of the way that the game played out on Monday but how great was it to to see the Chiefs beat up Marcus Peters you know in in a, in a, in a variety of different times i mean you know Marcus Peters of course is incredibly talented um you know but Tyreek Hill won the battle with him uh, you know especially on that touchdown catch that uh, that Tyreek had uh, there were a couple other plays where I, I don't want to say that that Peters was burned because he wasn't really necessarily burned, but there were battles that were clearly won by the Chiefs receivers, you know, against Peters. And I don't know. I mean, I, that was just kind of fun to watch. Um, you know, he he definitely had some success in Kansas City, but you know, sort of left under you know under under bad a bad situation. Uh, it was kind of cool to watch him, I guess, lose that battle on Monday. Yeah, and it really was interesting with him because when he left, you know, there was a lot of rumors about you know kind of being a, a clubhouse cancer type guy and and this and that and and really that kind of you have to think for an Andy Reid coach football team that there were some real issues with you going on because Andy yeah. Reid is known in the NFL for giving guys long second chances, long third chances and the fact that that Andy was, you know, gave the okay on letting a talent like that go, I think speaks volumes to what he was doing in that clubhouse and 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 maybe it just wasn't a good fit necessarily that he was doing something overly bad per se, but um you know, I think that that has always spoke volumes I thought with that whole deal that went down. And with that being said, it it, it felt like Andy Reid particularly knowing his former cornerback took advantage of some of those t- tendencies that sure. he has to be that aggressive um uh, cornerback you know he wants to make the big play he if, if if you remember his time in Kansas City it felt especially towards the end it felt like he didn't want to tackle very much and I, I think they really went at those tendencies and and so uh, I think uh I think it was good to see the Chiefs kind of sneak one over the top on that <laughs> So we can't, you know, move on from this game and move on to something else without talking about, you know, the 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 crazy touchdowns that Kansas City had. First, the shovel pass to Anthony Hitchens for a score, uh, which you love seeing sausage get into the end zone for sure. And then, of course, the big man touchdown uh, with, with with Fish and you know Eric Fisher in the end zone. Um, Again, I mentioned it a few minutes ago. It kind of looked like Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes were kind of trolling everybody uh, with some of those play calls. But when you can really get away with doing whatever you want offensively, why not take advantage of some of those, you know, different kind of special plays that really the only team that can pull those off is Kansas City? You know, Patrick Mahomes has said in interviews that he's ready to pull off the behind the back pass. And I thought he, you know, I was like, haha, you know, th- that's funny. 
I, I'm convinced now they're going to do it at some point this season. He's going to throw a behind the back yeah. pass. It may be for two yards, but they're gonna they're gonna do it. I'm almost convinced. But that's just I mean the brilliance of Andy Reid. I don't know how often and, and obviously the touchdown plays are the ones that wow us right. But even the particular his screen games, the, the designs in which he gets Kelsey up under up under the defense somehow by moving like, you know, I particularly remember Tyreek coming in motion out to the side and everybody jumps out because Tyreek was lined up in the backfield and you yeah. think, Oh, perfect time for the chiefs to try to have uh, Tyreek Hill matched, you know, as the running back matched up on a linebacker, they're going to try to take advantage of that. So everyone flows with that. And then they just sneak Tyree, uh, Travis Kelsey up underneath with a little screen. Uh, you know, it, even small things like that, the brilliance of Andy Reid this season has come through more and more. And I wonder if in part two, the, the finally getting the monkey off his back has kind of unleashed something in him. Like he's done it now. And not that, not that it's not the right play call or that he's being careless or anything like that. I, I just wonder if he just feels more free now that he's finally done it to, to do not have to follow kind of the traditional route of play calling that guys have done before, I guess. I don't know. It also helps when you have the lead, you know, and you're not, yeah, you're not yeah. trying to you know, come from behind. We did see Tyreek Hill in the backfield a little bit more than I think we are used to seeing him, you right. know, in the backfield, um, you know, but it was, it was super effective. You know, the one thing that, um, you know, I'll say at the end of this game, is that it was kind of a double win for Kansas City because not only did they move to three and zero, but all the other AFC West teams lost uh, on on Sunday. So the the Raiders lost, the Broncos lost, the Chargers lost. So you know that that's sort of a double win then for Kansas City. Their next week's game is coming up on Sunday, Week Four, back at home, back at Arrowhead, taking on Cam Newton and the New England Patriots, which is kind of weird, you know, still to say. Yeah. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this uh, this upcoming game, which is the late afternoon game on Sunday. Jim Nance and Tony Romo are going to be in Kansas City calling the game. Max Kellerman on ESPN. I watched it this morning. He said that after the Ravens lost to Kansas City. That, you know, yeah, the Chiefs are the favorite, but he thinks that Cam Newton and the Patriots might be the biggest threat to Kansas City and the AFC. Do you buy that? You know, I, I, th- I think that that's maybe so. I mean, I'm just not impressed with the Ravens, but here's the thing about the Patriots. Their, their play style this year is very similar to the Ravens. They've got a quarterback who can run the ball. I think he's, uh, he may not anymore have the pure arm talent that Lamar Jackson has because Lamar Jackson has arm talent, but he is definitely a, a much, much, much more developed quarterback. He can make those reads. He can make the progressions. You know, he, he is much more skilled at reading a defense and breaking it down. So they can throw the ball. There's no doubt. I mean, anytime you got a Bill Belichick coach team, they can throw the ball, but you know, I, I really just do think that, that they probably are the, you know, the favorites to, to compete with the chiefs. I don't know who else you would consider at this point. I mean, you got Baltimore, you got Pittsburgh, I suppose you've got, uh, of course the Tennessee Titans who we, who we faced last year. Um, all, which is interesting with the Ravens like to run the ball. The Titans like to run the ball. Uh, you know, the Steelers being a little bit different, but, uh, I, I really think right now the Patriots probably are the, the favorite to compete with Kansas city. I think that Pittsburgh probably is at this point, but I, I would put I put New England, you know, in the top three. Um, you know, I've been uh, pleasantly surprised with the success that Cam Newton has had early on in New England. The one thing we know about Cam Newton is that, um, you know, the the littlest thing can go wrong, and if it doesn't end up exactly the way he wants it, 
he can check out, you know, pretty quickly. And so yeah. that hasn't happened yet in New England. Uh, I'm sure it probably will because that's the way that it's always been uh, for Cam Newton. But um, he does have that team, you know, uh, rocking and rolling right now. And of course, Bill Belichick, you know, is is the best coach, you know, in the NFL. Um, you know, Andy Reid is probably number two. Uh, so it's, it's going to be a fun matchup. It always it always is uh, when New England plays Kansas City, regardless who's under center. Uh, so looking forward to that matchup for sure on Sunday. Let's get Tommy, predictions. Oh, go ahead. Before we go, I want to back up because we we missed somebody that I'm actually going to say is absolutely in my mind the team that Kansas City has to compete with. That's the Buffalo Bills. I love Josh Josh Allen's yeah. game and their defense is tremendous. Adding Stephon Diggs, I think, was that piece that they needed to be over over kind of get over the hump with Josh Allen. And I think they are by far and away the number two team that's going to compete with Kansas City to, to, to leave the AFC. But before we move on, I do want to ask you: Do you think? It feels weird this year, or, or maybe I should ask it this way. Do you agree with me? I almost feel like I don't even care about the AFC, like what's going on in the AFC West anymore. Like that's where, is, is that where we're at with the Chiefs yeah. that I just, I'm more watching the Bills. I'm more watching the Patriots. I'm more watching the Steelers thinking about that one and two seed, you know, than I'm necessarily concerned. I mean, of course, obviously, if it gets close down the stretch, you're concerned with the West. But isn't that a weird feeling that we're now more just focused on AFC as a whole as it was just three years ago where we were just thinking, boy, if we can just win the West and get into the playoffs, you know? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think the Chiefs are head and shoulders above, you know, all the other three teams, you know, in in their division. I think Las Vegas is probably next um, and they're fun to watch. You know, Derek Carr didn't have a great game, um, you know, over the weekend, but, um, you know, he's got some pretty young dynamic receivers and, you know, Josh Jacobs. Um, I, I know he struggled a little bit, but he's, a, you know, a solid running back for sure for this Raiders team. So, no, I, I think you're right in that regard, but you're and you're definitely right about the Bills as well. You know, I think Josh Allen had like four passing touchdowns and one rushing touchdown uh, over the weekend. I completely forgot about them, uh, but th- they're a dangerous team for sure, and the Chiefs will will be facing them in two weeks. So the Chiefs actually have a, a tough upcoming schedule. They play the Patriots on Sunday at home. They're at home against the Raiders a week from Sunday, and then they're on the road at Buffalo for Thursday night football on the 15th. So that's a pretty tough three-game stretch for Kansas City. And if you add in the Ravens game that they just finished on Monday Night Football, that's a really tough four-game stretch for Kansas City. And so, you know, I really think that once we get through that Bills game on Thursday Night Football, um, you know, I, I don't have any doubt in my mind that the Chiefs, I think they they're going to be the favorites in all of them, in my opinion. They should win all of them, but it's going to be some really entertaining football. So back to the Patriots game, predictions for Sunday. What do you think? You know, I think this is going to be mu- much lower scoring. I think, you know, I think the chiefs probably just eke this one out. Bill Belichick is, I mean, he's just a fantastic coach. I think when it's all said and done, he may be the best of all time. If, if people are, don't already think that he is, um, but I'm going to say that chiefs squeak by 24, 21. Yeah. So I was really critical of Booger McFarland on Twitter. I usually am. And I am for a lot of different reasons, uh, but I was most critical that he predicted for the Monday night game that the chiefs would only score 17 points. 
17 points with that offense uh, against Baltimore. So I can't go that low for Kansas City, but I don't think it's going to be as high scoring of a game uh, as what we saw on on Monday night or even in week one against the Texans. Uh, because I, I do think, again, Bill Belichick, I think it comes down you know, to the coaching matchup between Belichick and Andy Reid. So I agree with you. It's going to be a closer game. It's going to be a little bit lower scoring of the game. But I'm going to say the Chiefs win 28-24 uh, is my prediction uh, for week number four against the Patriots. Let's get into some college football and uh, at least in this area, the top story, the Kansas State Wildcats over the weekend, stunning number three, Oklahoma, 38 to 35. Weston, on this program one week ago, we were talking about whether or not there was even going to be a game. There was a lot of COVID-19 issues with both teams. Even as as recently as Friday, the the Wildcats weren't even sure they'd be able to field a team. They go into Norman and they stun the Sooners 38 to 35. I know you watched that game and, and you've got a lot of details on that. But just overall, that's that's a obviously back-to-back years winning for the Wildcats. That is a massive statement win for Coach Kleiman and the Wildcats. Oh, absolutely. And doesn't it feel like K-State does this once a year? I mean, it just feels yeah. like every year they get a big win that they – I, I, I'm not going to say shouldn't do, win, but are not favored in or, or something like that. But on the flip side, I did see this stat. This is Oklahoma's sixth loss as a 20-point favorite since 2009. There's no other team that has lost more than three of those games. Wow. That's an that's an incredible stat. I mean, and, and obviously, you know, especially in college where you're, you know, you're rotating guys in and out of their 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 four years, it's hard to to really pin that down. But that that's an interesting stat and, and just another heartbreaker for for Oklahoma. But yeah, K State, you know, they actually they, they got after it on Saturday. I remember I was watching um particularly and I, I wanna say it was the second quarter, I believe. And K-State had just crossed over the line um, over the midfield, and they threw a pass on – it was second, and I think it was about 17-ish. Threw a pass to Malik Knowles, and it would have been about two yards past the first down line. Probably would have put him on the 20-yard line, and I think they were down 14-0 at this point, and he dropped it. And I remember thinking at that point, boy, this is going to be the turning point. Like he drops that pass. He was wide open, should have had it. This is going to be that point where K-State looks back and goes, boy, I, you know, we really missed an opportunity. We could have, could have gathered some momentum back. And I kind of checked out. I mean, I didn't, I didn't turn off the game at that point, but I wasn't really even, you know, I was kind of just doing other things. And then they convert on a long third down and they, they go into score and really keep that game within. And, and I think that, was a huge moment when they could have done like what I did and said, you know, kind of, Oh man, that was kind of our opportunity to stay in this. And he dropped that pass and it's so demoralizing. Um, but they didn't, you know, and I, 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 to me, that's kind of a reflection of the program and a reflection of coach Kleiman, but th- that just feels like a K state thing to do. I, I don't know how to describe it other than that is to kind of miss that moment, but not let them themselves down and still just kind of keep on fighting. And, and especially against this opponent that was, you know, by all means p- uh, predicted to, to, to blow them away. The Wildcats had a ton of resolve. I mean, both you and I picked them to lose uh, last week on this episode. I think pretty much the entire country picked them uh, to lose against Oklahoma. Uh, I think Kansas State fans picked Kansas State to lose that game uh, against Oklahoma, but they showed a lot of resolve rallying from 21 points down. In the battle of the quarterbacks, Skyler Thompson clearly won this matchup. Skyler Thompson passed for 334 yards and ran for three touchdowns. Uh, On the flip side, Spencer Rattler, 
who's the freshman QB for Oklahoma, passed for 387 yards and four touchdowns, but he also threw three interceptions. And I think that's the sign of a young quarterback in in, in Norman, um, you know, that is trying to find his way. Uh, it seems like there's always a, a new quarterback in, in Oklahoma that has some kind of rocky start, uh, you know, something that happens where it just doesn't look good for them. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I'm sure we'll be hearing about this guy for years to come. He'll probably win the Heisman and, you know, be a first round draft pick in the NFL because that's kind of the way they do it at Oklahoma. But in this particular game, Skylar Thompson bested Spencer Rattler for sure. Uh, Thompson had a great game and led the, and led the Wildcats, you know, back from big. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and well, Skylar Thompson's obviously going to get a lot of credit. Boy, do, do the wild hat. Wildcats have something in Deuce Vaughn. This, yeah. this this little guy, he boy, he can run the football. I mean, only eight carries for forty five yards, but I mean, he you know he's averaging five point six yards a carry. He's looking good, and I think more importantly, he had four catches for hundred and twenty nine yards. I mean, this guy, right. Manhattan, you've got Darren Sproles two here in Deuce Vaughn, and that is that's a fantastic thing. But Tommy, if you remember last week, um, or or might have been. Two weeks ago, I guess, when we were talking about the Kansas State, Arkansas State game, and I said that the Wildcats have to figure out something defensively to get more pressure on the quarterback and disrupt those passing games out outside of Wyatt Hubert. You know, he's he's their guy. Teams are going to double team him. They're going to chip him. They're going to do all those things schematically like we've talked about to keep him away from the quarterback. And they stepped up. They had th- they had three sacks, one of them being from Wyatt Hubert, but also Bronson Massey and uh, Kermari, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to get that right. Uh, Ganius. Uh, yeah. Sorry if I butchered that, Wildcats fans. Um, both had a sack. And then we had two quarterback hurries, hurries from Khalid. Khalid Duke and Jalen Pickle, which is a fantastic name. Um, so, so they, they, you know, they, they got to the, the young freshman quarterback in Spencer Rattler and made him look like the freshman that he is. And, and you're right. He's going to be fantastic when it's done, but he certainly did not look that way today. And, and the Wildcats definitely deserve, deserve this W. And what do we always say about Kansas State football? You know, and, and it's that culture that Bill Snyder built a long time ago, and it's continued to this day about defense, about the building blocks of, of defense and how, you know, the, that hard nose uh, shut down defense. Kansas State really didn't have it for the first three quarters of this game. They gave, they gave up 455 yards the first three quarters, but when they needed the defense the most in the fourth quarter, as the Wildcats were getting back into the game, they were completing their comeback. The, the K-State defense only gave up 62 yards in the fourth quarter, which is huge. And then, of course, you know, they, they won that turnover battle as well as the K-State defense forced four turnovers against OU. I'm sure that this is the kind of game that, you know, Lincoln Riley will take his team and, you know, be able to get them angry and get them ready for the rest of the season. I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if OU doesn't lose again uh, for the rest of the season. They play Iowa State this weekend. Um, Obviously, their goal is still the college football playoff, which they could still conceivably get in even with one loss, depending on how everything else, you know, falls into place. But uh, that was not a good result for them, you know, as they move forward, trying to get back into the college football playoff. K-State, on the other hand, they host Texas Tech on Saturday. Texas Tech has always been a team uh, that can score a lot of points. They've done so, so far this season. They scored 35 in their opening game uh, against Houston Baptist. And then they scored 56 in a losing effort in overtime last week against uh, the Texas Longhorns. So the Red Raiders can score a lot of points. So 
Coach Kleiman is going to need his defense to show up yet again this week back in Manhattan. Yeah, and Texas Tech is, is, an, is an interesting team. What was it, week one, they um, barely beat Houston Baptist. Right. Uh, and then and then week week two, they show up and, and they take they take Texas to overtime and looked really, really good in, in doing it. So you just don't know which which Texas team, Texas Tech team is going to show up uh, here against the Wildcats. But, you know, I, the, the Wildcats are, you know, they're favored by two and a half. So that, that's pretty much a, I mean, Vegas is pretty much saying this is a toss up almost, um, which is interesting. I really thought K-State would be a little bit more favored after after the win over OU but I think uh that that shows that a lot of folks are saying oh Oklahoma slipped up more than Kansas State went out and beat Oklahoma and not saying that I agree with that I'm just saying the Vegas numbers are saying that that must be what people are thinking I think it plays right into the hands of of Kansas State you know Skyler Thompson at halftime uh told his teammates and I quote that they were overlooked unappreciated, have been slept on and not given a chance. And I think that that just adds fuel to the fire. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised to see K-State have a big game back at home, riding that momentum off of the win against Oklahoma. And uh, I think they're going to be able to knock off Texas Tech, but we'll have to wait and see on that uh, coming up on Saturday. The other game in the state, not nearly as positive, and that was Kansas traveling to Waco to take on the Baylor Bears. Unfortunately, Weston, I know that you watched this game. I did not. Of course, Baylor won the game 47-14. Other than Puka Williams, there really wasn't a whole lot else going on uh, for the Kansas Jayhawks. My question to you, only two games into the season, is there any hope left for Kansas football this season? I mean, not this season, no. Um, You know, I I think kind of the interesting thing, and this is, as you're a KU fan, like I like I've talked about it. I mean, this is, you know, this season wasn't going to be a thing anyways. We're looking at what can we build on for the future? Obviously, as we're I, I know you had intentions of us talking about, so I'm just going to jump into it now. You know, we, we saw Jalen Daniels start a quarterback. A really interesting decision by Les Miles. I thought I, I don't love it. Um, you know, I know that this season, like I, I just got done saying that this season, you know, we weren't expecting to do anything this season, but really in week one, I thought both Thomas McVitie and Miles Kendrick looked pretty good. So I don't know if something's been going on in practice or what, but to then just all of a sudden come out and go with Jalen Daniels is it was kind of a head scratcher to me. I mean, if you, so if you look at the coastal Carolina game, Thomas McVitie started the game five for nine and he did have an interception. But if you watch that game, that interception was a pass that should have been caught by his wide receiver. He got hurt, went out. Miles um, Kendrick comes in, goes 15 for 24. So not super great, but two touchdowns the interception. I thought looked pretty well. And then just all of a sudden we come out and, and, and roll with Jalen Daniels, who is 19 for 33 with a 22.8 QBR, which was pretty bad. Um, with that being said, I certainly felt like you saw some flashes of Jalen Daniels raw ability you know you can tell the guy can move around pretty easily um you know you can tell he's got a a big arm but he definitely looked like a just like a freshman you know that was trying to bring his high school football game onto the college football field and it was just I guess I just was watching and and I just couldn't see what Les Miles saw to to pull the plug on McVitie or Miles Kendrick um, you know, I, obviously the only question is, 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 you know, does he think Jalen Daniels is, is the guy of the future, which obviously being a freshman that that must be the case, but here's my question. I mean, is, is he the quarterback of the future? Like surely your intentions 
are to out recruit this guy, right? So I just I, I don't quite understand the call by Les Miles here. Jalen Daniels, I think the intention is that he is the quarterback of the future for the Jayhawks. I don't necessarily think that means he's the quarterback right now. Uh, I definitely don't think he's the quarterback right now. Uh, he, here are some stats for you, though. Uh, that it just it, it's it's it is what it is. That um, they're not good. Kansas is they they lost their fiftieth consecutive Big Twelve road game on Saturday against Baylor. They've lost eleven in a row to the Bears. And they've never won in Waco. They're 0-10 in Waco. You and I on this show last week, we talked about how we hate a two-quarterback system. Uh, unless Miles must have heard that and said, okay, I won't give you that. I'll give you a three-quarterback system. Um, because that's what we have now. Uh, Thomas McVitty apparently is still injured uh, or he's okay. not healthy enough to be able to go. At least that's okay. what Les Miles said, uh, that he, he, he wasn't healthy. But that still doesn't make any sense as to why you wouldn't go back to miles Kendrick who you had the majority of the game at coastal Carolina. Um, miles also said in his post game, and this is where the head scratcher is to me also said that miles Kendrick could get a longer look going forward. Okay. So why didn't you play him against Baylor? Why did you play Jalen Daniels? Uh, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And what is so frustrating to me, and we're not going to get on a long rant about KU. We've done that plenty on this show. I'm sure we'll have plenty of opportunities uh, to do it going forward. But what what drives me crazy is Les Miles is a national championship winning coach. He's a legendary coach. The two quarterback system is something that I would expect Turner Gill to do. It's something I would expect David Beatty to do because they did it in their tenures at Kansas. It's not something that I would expect Les Miles to do. I said it on this show last week. I'll say it again. If you're playing two quarterbacks, you might say, well, neither one of them can separate you know, from the other one in the pack. What it means is that I actually have zero quarterbacks. I have zero quarterbacks that I can trust in. And the fact that Miles Kendrick was the backup in week one, and had was forced into action, had to play, but then didn't get the ball in week two. And Jalen Daniels gets the ball. I don't. I just don't. I just don't know. I just don't understand the strategy behind that. If you're gonna lose, which they're gonna lose, let's be honest, they're gonna lose every other game the rest of the season. Then just put the ball in one guy's hand and let him run with it. You know, I just go back to thinking about you know when Carter Stanley was in Lawrence and he was constantly, you know kind of thrown out there and then yanked back really quick when I, I, you know, was he the best quarterback in the world? No, but he was solid. And had he been given the chance to actually develop and given the reins and given the keys to drive the car permanently, I think we would have seen a better quarterback and a better squad overall. So I just don't understand why, uh, why you would go to Jalen Daniels when miles Kendrick is right there and played in week one. Yeah. And here's the thing. So I, when I when we talked about the two quarterback system, I know why coaches do it. I, I think coaches often do it because they don't want uh, one of the guys on their staff. It's not like the NFL where you've paid a starter and the other guy's paid like a backup, and there's no questions about who is who. When you've got you know guys in college, there's three guys that you all recruited to come play quarterback at, at your university, and I think often that decision is made to keep a guy happy. You know, but and this, I, this, this, no, is and not, I, this is not eight-year-old Pop Warner football where everybody gets to play. 
No, I no, I I agree. But what's your options if if you're if the guy you've recruited is says, okay, peace out, I'm going to go play somewhere else. Yeah, it sucks that the guy is being that way, but you still have to manage that as a coach. And I'm still still with that being said, I'm not agreeing with the the two quarterback system for that purpose. But I bring that up because Jalen Daniels. So what? I mean, wh- what kind of special quarterback is he? We're not at Alabama where they had the they recruited the number one overall quarterback in the class, and you play him a little bit as a freshman just to make sure he doesn't transfer to Ohio State or Michigan or Tennessee. This isn't the case. Jalen Daniels was a two star quarterback. If he get if right. he's unhappy because he doesn't play, so long, man. We're gonna our intent is to out recruit you anyways. So I don't even understand that aspect. If that is why Les Miles is doing it now, again, like I kind of mentioned in the beginning, if if this is about now building for the future. I can understand that to some degree, but Miles Kendrick's only a junior. So I just right. don't understand why you're not giving him a look for another week, another two weeks, another three weeks. If you're ready to say, look, McVitie, he's a senior. Don't love what he's bringing to the table. And we have to now get our program ready to compete in 2021, 2022. I'm going to make that move. Why would you not at least give a look to the guy who's going to be back on your roster next year and would be the senior quarterback then? Um, it just doesn't make sense to me at all. Or even even the flip side of that is if you are committed to saying Jalen Daniels is the quarterback of the future for this program, then why in postgame would you say Miles Kendrick could get a, a longer look going forward? It just doesn't make yeah. any sense at all. Right. And I, I recognize that this is not Alabama. We're not we're not debating between Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts here. We're talking about Miles Kendrick and, and Jalen Daniels. Uh, Daniels finished uh, 19 of 33 for 159 yards and he finished with 23 yards rushing he was sacked four times so that rushing number would have been higher uh, without those four Baylor sacks but at the end of the day it's a it's a train wreck in Lawrence Uh, there has been a definite regression from week one to week two which is completely discouraging uh, for Kansas fans and the entire program because there was there were some solid moments in in year number one under Les Miles uh I would argue that all, if most, if not all of that progress is gone at this point. Um, and we're not even going to do predictions because it's not even worth it. Uh, but Kansas does play number 15, Oklahoma state uh, on Saturday. So uh, take that for, for what you will. Um, I'm sure uh, I might have it on. I don't know. Probably won't be paying a whole lot of attention. It's just kind of a bummer in Lawrence. Um, but, but definitely going back to what we were just talking about with Kansas state, Shout out to the Wildcats for getting that big win uh, over Oklahoma. That was definitely uh, the shining star in the state of Kansas in football uh, this this past weekend. Let's very briefly get into baseball. The baseball playoffs are underway right now, uh, but the Royals obviously didn't make the playoffs. And some news uh, last week that we want to touch on very briefly, and that is the retirement of Alex Gordon, uh, who announced that last week he finished out uh, his career and the season over the weekend in the Royals' final game. Where does Alex Gordon Gordon rank in your mind as far as all-time Royals? You know, that's such a tricky thing to do, especially because you have you've got just such different eras of baseball. You've got some greats. You've got George Brett, you got Hal McCray, you got Frank White. You know, then you think about the pitchers, you know, you got Dan Quisenberry, you got um, you know, you got Mike Montgomery, you got, you know, the Grankies come through, you got all these guys. Brett exactly, Brett Saberhagen. You know, you've got all these guys that have been there, and I don't know that. 
Alex, let me start here. Alex Gordon will absolutely be in the Royals Hall of Fame. There's no question about it. He just was, he kind of always brought one thing to the table, and that was his defense. And he did that at a at a Hall of Fame level, an MLB Hall of Fame level. But it, the, the bat was just never quite there. But I, I think what, what Alex Gordon was, and actually a friend of mine asked me, do you think Alex Gordon's career was a little overhyped? And I said, you know, I think it depends on, on how you look at it. Because I think there's a lot of folks that are saying Alex Gordon, you know, is one of the greatest Royals more for the intangible things that you can't put a number on. I mean, you, you just, there's a plethora of stories about what he brought to that clubhouse, about how much he meant to those young guys that grew into winning that World Series for the Royals. I mean, he just taught those guys how to be a big league player. He taught the guys now, you know, gave them the approach about how they would bring young guys into camp just to watch Alex Gordon or send video of Alex Gordon to all the, 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 the training camp sites, the, the rookie ball, the high, a, the low, a just of Alex Gordon's warm up to say, this is how a big leaguer does it. You want to have success. This is how you do it. And I think it's those intangible things that are just so hard to wrap in when you're comparing with other players, but make no mistakes. Alex Gordon, absolutely a first ballot Royals hall of famer to say the least. It's a rarity these days to have a player that plays his entire career with one team. Gordon is only uh, one of only seven players to play 1,500 or more games with one team. And only two of them, Ryan Braun and Joey Votto, have played more games for one team than Alex Gordon. So he definitely has the longevity with Kansas City. Um, you know, I think if you want to look back at it objectively, you know, he signed a big free agent deal back in 2016 after the Royals won the World Series. He never really produced at that level uh, after the World Series win for Kansas City. So I'm not sure that was the best contract in the world uh, for the Royals to have in place. But that being said, uh, I, I'm I'm so happy for him that he was able to go through several years of, of bad baseball and mediocrity to get yeah. that World Series run, that couple year stretch, and then to stick around, you know, when you see guys like, and nothing against Eric Hosmer or Mike Moustakis or Ben Zobrist or, you know, any of the guys that moved on uh, mm -hmm. in the year or two after the Royals won the World Series, but Alex Gordon stayed. Uh, he, he decided he was going to spend his entire career in Kansas City. I think a lot of it is probably geography, you know, being from Nebraska and, you know, just kind of being in that area and, and not leaving home really. Um, you know, but I would, I would absolutely agree with you that he's got to be, you know, one of the guys that you look at, at least in the last, I don't know, probably 10 or 20 years that defined Royals baseball yeah. has got to has got to be Alex Gordon. So I, I definitely agree with you. He's got to be a first ballot Royals Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, and you're looking at a guy, I mean, it, it, and I we might even be selling him a little bit short talking about just what he meant to the Rose. I mean, he's seven-time Gold Glover, three-time All-Star, uh, you know, three-time Wilson Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, the guy, you know, outstanding world-class defender in the outfield. I mean, I can just remember, you know, some of my fondest memories of him or him gunning people down from left field and literally having the conversation with everybody in the room afterwards. Why are people still running on Alex Gordon? Like how are, how are they missing this memo? What's going on? And that'll be something that I always remember him. Did you see the tribute that both his team and uh, they did it in San Diego? And I, I want to say Mike Moustakis did it. Um, you know, he's got the kind of the trademarked uh, pine tar stripe 
right across his bat, yeah. uh, back from yeah. where he warms up with his bat. And so all his teammates, I thought that was a really cool, touching little tribute as yep. Alex Gordon rode off into the sunset. I hate that he didn't get to do it his last game, be in front of fans, though. That kills sure. me. Well, you know, we move into next year with the Royals without Alex Gordon as a mainstay in, in left field. So, um, you know, definitely that'll be something that the Royals will have to address. But, uh, you know, hats off to Alex Gordon on a great career in Kansas City. All right, we're going to get into our Wichita whip around now here on Keeper of the Games. We're going to talk prep football again, which we have done for the last few weeks here on Keeper of the Games now that the high school football season is underway. But we're going to get started by talking about kind of the top story, and that's not positive news for Kansas high school football derby high school football has been listed as an active covid19 cluster in the state of kansas so uh the derby school district canceled their football game uh, on friday due to covid19 and they have suspended all football related activities which is something that you know i i'm not saying that this was expected uh, especially not for a specific team but i think at some point or another there was going to probably be a team that was going to come down with some kind of covid19 outbreak it just happened to be the Derby Panthers. What does this mean going forward, uh, both just in general for the area for high school football and for Derby specifically? I mean, they're a team that has already dealt with uh, kind of an unexpected loss in week one against Mill Valley. And now they've completely shut down their entire football program for the time being. Yeah, you know, I, I, first I want to say, you know, I think it's been a it's been a positive sign, and this is not an indictment on me trying to make a science prediction or <laughs> or anything like that or any s- statement on COVID. But I think it's been positive that for the most part, I feel like we've what we've seen is when there has been outbreaks in, in football teams, and the NFL is dealing with it right now. It, we haven't necessarily seen this wild spread to the other teams that they've played, which I think yeah. is is positive and makes it should make you feel confident confident that as long as we're identifying these issues as early as possible that you know the season as a whole is not in jeopardy um and as far as derby i, I mean i think it's going to be tough you know i think it's going to be hard to get this under control particularly with high school kids it just that it's just the nature of what you're dealing with um and then if it, you know if they do and they get back on track and have a season i think it's always hard to do a start stop uh you know type of thing but they are one of the most talented teams in the state. And if anybody can, you know, kind of shove this to the side and battle through it, it, it would be the Derby Panthers. Yeah, that's kind of the it's kind of a back and forth, right? I can kind of see both sides of it. On the one hand, uh, it, I'm sure it feels like with Derby that they're being dealt a bad hand, that they've already had, you know, a kind of a tough start to the season, kind of, I don't want to say below expectations, but it really hasn't gone the way they've wanted it to, uh, losing their first game of the year. Uh, and then obviously they're, they're dealt the COVID hand. Uh, and out of all the teams that could have been dealt the COVID hand. It's the the number one team in, in the state with, with Derby uh, being dealt that COVID hand. And now they're kind of behind the eight ball as far as all football related activities shut down. And who knows what that's going to look like moving forward. But at the same time, to your point, if it's going to happen to anybody, uh, probably the team that can get through it the best maybe or the team that can come away from it uh, maybe stronger. I don't know. Uh, that maybe most be, you know, most equipped to dealing with something like this is probably Derby just due to their success. So definitely not a positive for the Panthers at all. Um, you know, but I, I'd like to see how they come out of this. And if they come out of this just as strong, if not stronger, they could absolutely use this as a motivating factor uh, to get back on track and, and move forward through the season. Let's go over some of the highlights in week number four around the Wichita Metro and give you just, just quick scores on some of the games in our area. 
uh, in Andover. Andover Central took down Goddard 34 to 26. A big back and forth game there between those two squads in Andover in week number four. East, they stay unbeaten and they uh, won 54-0 against South High School. They kept the scoring rolling. They scored 80 against North High to open the season and then they beat South 54-0. So that was a game uh, that looked good for Wichita East. Your alma mater, Weston Andale, they built an early lead and they beat Halstead 42-12 to stay perfect on the season. They are 4-0 so far uh, to kick off the season for the Andale Indians. Uh, Collegiate High School They went to Heston High for for Heston's homecoming, but Collegiate exploded in the second half and they took down Heston 31 to 10. Uh, And then the other big score uh, update from last weekend was in Goddard as Andover took down Goddard Eisenhower 16 to 7. So those were uh, some of the big games that happened in week number four. Uh, Just briefly, some of the other ones of note, Wichita Heights beat Wichita North 72 to 0. West beat Southeast 40 to 7. And so those were some of the the major games that happened uh, in the Wichita Metro last week. I know, Weston, you have uh, some rankings as we go into week number five. Yeah, so uh, giving you a look at some of the the rankings here from from Catch, as according to Catch It Kansas, uh, we got Derby State at number three in Class 6A. Um, We have Wichita East moving down uh, from the number six spot to number eight, which is curious after they have won their first two games by a combined score of 134 to nothing. But I think that's a little bit of indictment on uh, the lack of quality of opponent so far. But they, they dropped down to number eight in class 6A. Uh, moving into Class 5A, we have Wichita Northwest, which stays at number three as they're 2-0 and on the season. Uh, right behind Mill Valley, up, up in my neck of the woods, interesting enough, Mill Valley, who, you know, folks say might be the best team in all the state and beat Derby. Uh, but they lost to a Arkansas powerhouse, and then they lost to um, they lost to Gardner Edgerton in 6A uh, without their uh, star QB last week. So interesting to see what how Mill Valley bounce, bounces back. Uh, but coming back to the Wichita Metro, we got uh, Bishop Carroll at number four at three and one. They stay at number four. Mays is four and zero oh on the season. They stayed at number five. Um, and then Goddard uh, actually dropped down after their loss to Andover Central from six to the number ten spot. Uh, touching real quickly on Class Four Four A, we we've got McPherson at four and zero oh as they are. They're still in the number three spot. Uh, Andover Central did move up a spot after their win over Goddard to, to number six, up from number seven. Um, Bueller stays at the number 10 spot, as, as we've talked a little bit about their play. Uh, Class 3A, we got Andel at 4-0 is the number one team. They're actually up from number two as Perry Lee Compton, who stayed perfect, uh, fell to number four. But if I, if I remember right, I think uh, Perry, Perry Lee Compton, they're, they're kind of their star quarterback. Uh, William Welch suffered a season-ending injury, so uh, Catch Kansas, I think, rated them accordingly, even though they remain undefeated on the, on the season there. Uh, the only other we'll, we'll touch real quick, Class 2A, Garden Plain stays at number seven as they're three and one. And we'll, we'll do a quick shout-out to Class 1A as we got Sedgwick just outside of Wichita there. They remain at number seven as they are 4-0 on the season. 
Well, there you go. Thanks for that uh, that quick rundown there as far as the rankings are concerned. Uh, very quickly, as we get into this coming weekend in the Wichita Metro, some of the games, at least in the City League, uh, to keep an eye on. Wichita East, obviously, they're rolling so far this season. They travel to Heights High School uh, in this Week 5 matchup. Northwest is on the road at Wichita North, which North High so far has been kind of the punching bag uh, this season in the City League, and I think that Wichita Northwest will probably continue that trend uh, on Friday. West is on the road taking on Wichita South. Uh, Bishop Carroll, they travel to Lawrence uh, this weekend, and then Pittsburgh is on the road to take on Cape and Mount Carmel. Hutchinson travels to Andover to play Andover Central on the road at Valley Center this weekend. May South is on the road at Newton. Salina South travels to play Mays High School. Uh, and so those are some of the, the highlights, at least in uh, 6A and 5A, as we get into this uh, coming weekend for the prep high school football season. That's going to wrap things up for our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Games. We're going to wrap up the show with our finally funny and uh, Weston, I'm sure that you along with the rest of the world saw the news that Patrick Mahomes and his fiance Brittany Matthews are expecting their first child together. Brittany made that announcement on social media on Tuesday. And of course, the social media world uh, freaked out about it. Now, that's not really funny news. So, you know, I'm sure you might be thinking, well, why is that the finally funny? But I do have an angle as to why this is funny. I don't know if you saw this or not. But Patrick Mahomes was giving an interview where he talked about who was going to be babysitting uh, their new baby. Did you see this at all? I actually didn't see this one. Okay, so uh, he was giving an interview about who was going, who on his team would be on the babysitter list when they have their their baby. So he said that Matt Moore uh, might be somebody (laughs) that they would look at to be a babysitter because he's responsible. But then, as far as who is not on the list, Pat said, and I quote. I can't let Trav or anybody like that babysit. You never know what would happen. So he's already ruled out Travis Kelsey. Uh, Travis will not be babysitting their new child. That's probably probably for the best. Now, I thought what you were going to say, though, ha- did you see the, the photo that has gone semi-viral of uh, Pat and, and Brittany kind of with their hand, arms around each other yeah. and they're holding up their, their the picture of, of their baby? Well, uh, have you seen the photo where someone has photoshopped Lamar Jackson's face onto that photo? And I thought, boy, that's uh, the folks just are too quick on the internet to jump on that stuff. But I thought that was pretty amusing. Well, that's also, I mean, I, I saw it on social media, you know, something about how, you know, everybody's saying that Pat Mahomes is going to be a dad for the first time, but that's not true. He's already the Ravens daddy. So um, <laughs> yeah, I think it kind of, kind of plays into that for sure. One other quick note. Uh, and by the way, congratulations to Patrick and, and Brittany Matthews. That's awesome. Uh, we've talked about it before about how great of a year Pat Mahomes is having, um, you know, so that's, that's awesome. He has completely beaten 2020, but the other note about Mahomes I want to bring up and I'm even guilty of it. I was guilty of it just 10 seconds ago, calling him Pat Mahomes. I don't know if you saw uh, Patrick's mother tweeting during the Monday night football game about how she did not like Lewis Riddick calling him Pat Mahomes during the course of the game, probably because it reminds everybody of his dad, but I uh, thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I, and and I don't know if her issue is just with Pat. It's either Patrick Mahomes or you just call him Pat. Um, right. I know that I, I know some folks that are kind of that way, but I, hey, I'm the same way. I, call, I I just refer to him pretty much as Pat all the time. And I'll tell you, he's going to be one of those guys. I think it's going to kind of turn into a Kobe, a Shaq, a Jordan. You know, he may just be be when you say Pat, people may just know who you're talking about when things are all said and done for him. 
Well, I understand because I'm not Tom and you're not Wes. Right. Right. I mean, and I wouldn't like it if somebody called me Tom. Right. I don't know right. if, like it if somebody called you Wes. Right. Uh, that's not our names and Patrick is his name. And that's, I guess, what <laughs> at least his mom prefers uh, he be called, uh, especially on television. So, uh, again, that's our obligatory Patrick Mahomes reference. I'd like to add up on this finally funny how many times we talk about Patrick Mahomes in this segment. Seems like nearly every week we're talking about him, but for good reason. Yeah, I, I, as we all know, I have no problem with that. Yep. Absolutely. Well, that is our show here on Keeper of the Games uh, for this episode. And I am glad, Weston, I have to tell you that we got through over an hour's worth of podcast without you bringing up the fact that you beat me in fantasy baseball last weekend. We got through the entire show without you bringing it up. And uh, I'm happy about that. Well, don't cut this part, Tommy, because I'm glad you got it in there because that's I had every intention of doing it. And I just I'm 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 on to the. I'm onto the Bengals or whatever it is that Belichick had said. And I'd already was trying to figure out what I'm doing for this week. So, but I'm glad you reminded our listeners that uh, I beat you in both baseball and football. You know, baseball wasn't super close, but uh, football was, I felt like I just about gotcha in fantasy football, but uh, unfortunately that didn't happen. Maybe you and I will be matched up again later on in the season. Uh, I want to remind everybody who's listening right now to make sure to hit subscribe. That way, whenever we have a brand new episode, you'll get a notification. Again, you can listen to us on platforms like iTunes, Google podcasts, Spotify, many others out there. You can watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for keeper of the games. And of course you can follow us anytime on Twitter and Instagram at cog pod at kog pod we're going to keep trying to do episodes with you weston as long as we can until you have a baby and that could be anytime now so yep. maybe we'll see you next week but maybe we won't you never that's, know that's right we are in full baby watch oh in perfect time let's get i do want on the record that I, i'm going to go ahead and pre-allow my daughter to date patrick mahomes son in the event that you know that that, that all works out because they will be the same age so just that's on the record I, I've, it's been said you got to find a matchmaker between the two of them. <laughs> That's you right. Know, pretty, pretty early for sure. Uh, so in, in early congratulations to you. Um, maybe we'll, maybe we'll see you next week. Maybe we won't, but uh, regardless, uh, we'll have another episode of keeper of the games next week with or without Weston. So make sure to tune in for that. In the meantime, Weston, what is your Twitter handle at W mills 94. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, tweets from Tommy. So until next time for Weston mills, I'm Tommy Castor. You've been listening to keeper of the games. Take care guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at COGPOD. That's K-O-G-POD.